A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pro Hitter Podcast, episode number 30. Thank you for being on this ride with me and making it this far with me. I honestly didn't know if I was going to last this far to episode 30. But now that I'm here, I have a hunger to do 30,000 more. So, that being said, Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for the support of the podcast. If you have not done so, you can leave a rating. If you can, on Apple Podcast or whatever platform allows you to leave a rating or a review. Take a picture of the review. DM me on Twitter, at DevPoHitter, and I'll send you some PoHitter swag and some baseball cards, too. If you're into that, hit me up. Tonight on the PoHitter podcast, I talked to Nick Richards and Michael Richards. No... They're not related. It's purely coincidental. Nick and Mike both are in the prospect dynasty world. They're heavily involved in minor league player evaluation. They also play and know major leaguers as well, but their strength and their the vast amount of their knowledge and what they do their content with in the fantasy world is geared toward the minor league world. And I thought it would be great to sit down and pick their brains about some players and also organizations and how they handle their teams and promotion the prospects and how to trade and stash prospects and dino leagues and keeper leagues and what to look for and as well as park park factors and league factors that are hitter friendly or pitcher friendly. Then with that being said, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Alrighty, folks, welcome to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Tonight, joining me, I have two special men, um, Michael Richards and Nicholas Richards. No coincidence, they're not related, and I didn't do this on purpose. Um, I just love the content that these two guys provide, and I wanted to get them on the show to talk about some minor leagues and some prospects. So, hello, guys. How are you doing tonight? Great. Thank you so much for having us on, Rob, and... Um... As others have said, congratulations on winning the 2020 NFBC Draft Champions League. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for sharing your time with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rob. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it's a big honor to talk with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, uh, you know, we see each other on Twitter, we see the content we're providing, and we talk to each other on the side, and it's cool to get a face and hear people talk and uh, Nick I've heard you talk before watching some of the baseball HQ forum so this is awesome I'm I'm enjoying meeting everyone and getting to know everyone and uh, picking their brains 
you know, gets me smarter too. So I'm really that's loving it. One of the best things about things like this is I've been to like some of the first pitch forums and you get to meet the people that you follow on Twitter and it's great. You get to see who they're like. And I have found almost universally that uh, it's been a pleasure meeting people in the industry. Right. I would agree, especially just talking with everyone. Um, you know, everyone's so nice and give me so much advice about getting this started and tips and, and yeah, I can't wait to meet everyone. I can't wait to get out to a first pitch. Mike, have you ever been to any of the first pitches? No, actually I haven't. I've, uh, I just spent most of my time going to games, you know, whenever I had a chance, obviously not recently, but in the past, a lot of minor league games I'd go see, I live near Seattle. So I'd go to a lot of Tacoma Rainier games. Awesome. So, yeah. So tell me, I like to get to know my guest um, history of baseball in their life and what they, you know, how they fell in love with the game, what got them inspired to either play it, watch it. And um, yeah. So uh, Mike, you tell me the story first and tell me what um, to what your favorite team is as well. Well, team wise, I'd say, I guess Mariners because I've lived around here for 20 years, but I'm more of a player guy than a specific team. I'll obviously watch the Mariners and cheer for them more than other teams a little bit, but they haven't been good for a while. So um, what was the other part of your question? Yeah, just tell me how you started getting into baseball. Did, did you play it when you were young? Yes. Um, not that, I mean, you still look like you're very young, but, um, you know, tell me how you got into baseball. Well, uh, the first time I ever saw baseball was when I was eight years old. I stayed up past my bedtime and I happened to catch Kurt Gibson hit that home run off of Dennis Eckersley. Um, immediately wow. fell in love with everything about it. Joined baseball the next season, did all the travel teams, played in through high school. You know, I was one of those guys, I was a little smaller, played second base. I was taking walks before it was cool. <laughs> probably, probably led my league in OVP, you know, a single hitter, just didn't swing at stuff outside his own. I look for players like that and now. Abermetrician. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that in second, you know, I didn't have the biggest speed, but I'd get the guy over, I'd bunt, I'd just do all the stuff that wins baseball games. Nice. And, and where did you play on the field? I was a second baseman mostly. And I'd, I mean, when I used to pitch a little bit, I'd be one of those control guys, always throwing at strikes. You know, everything looked like a changeup, but somehow it got people out. <laughs> It must have had some elite spin on the changeup. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I did some knuckleballs and things like that, too. It was pretty fun. I miss playing baseball. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would love to go back to be a kid again yeah. and play, play some baseball. Nick, what about you? Tell me about your life history in baseball. Yeah, I um, live in New York City. I've always lived here. My father before me lived here. And when he was a kid... He was a Yankees fan because he saw the tail end of DiMaggio and then he mm. saw the career of Mantle. And so when I came along later, he told me all these stories and you take me to Yankee Stadium and when you're a kid seeing the infield grass for the first time. It's just such an awesome experience. And unfortunately for me, my early rooting interest for the Yankees occurred when they absolutely sucked. And I would, you know, I'd be at work and telling people, yeah, I'm a Yankees fan. And they go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. They're awful. And I thought, yeah, I know, but that's fandom. You know, you, you like them when they're good. You, you root for them when they're bad. And so when 
1996 came along, boy, it felt good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, um, who was your favorite player of all time? Well, I was a big Mattingly fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was the one good thing in the 80s that you could really root for. And right. then, um, of course, I like Jeter in the dynasty years. Uh, I remember just, you know, I could tell he was always a very controlled person, never gave a, an answer that meant anything, right? Right, just steady. Yeah. But the steadiness of him on the field, he just played every game like that game mattered in case it was the first game you ever saw. And I've always liked guys that do that, that um, they respect the game enough to think, I don't know who's here for the first time. I want to make sure I give them my best. So yeah, that's what I find uh, inspiring in a player. That's a great line. Yeah, because you're right. You never know who's there for the first time. You do something silly. Maybe someone thinks like, ah, you know. But yeah, I, I even as a Met fan, like we were discussing prior, Nick, I'm not a Yankee hater. And I had all respect for Jeter. Guys, you just show up to work. Just show up to work. Do the do the task at hand. You know, right. um, it's relatively simple to say it. But, you know, you. Now, Ripken in, in Baltimore, all the respect in the world. Yeah, right. you know. All, right. Always there. That's what you want. Right. I wish we had. I wish. I wish we had a time machine and we could just go back and watch. I put. I pretty much use it for baseball <laughs> mostly. <laughs> I would have loved to see DiMaggio in his prime, gliding through the outfield. Wouldn't that have been great to right. see some of these guys? Right. Wow. Right. To be in New York when it was all, you know, yeah. Brooklyn and the Giants, and yeah, that would have been something else. Really amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Love to see all those guys play. See how good they really were. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So what guy, when did you guys start playing fantasy baseball and what, and what got you started um, doing that? Good, Mike, if you want to start first. Good. Uh, yeah. Um, I probably started playing fantasy when I was early high school, late nineties, probably 97. Uh, just, you know, with my friends, like usual, uh, I'd, started playing, I'd get into it more and more. And uh, one time I had about 85 leagues I played and these are leagues that I'd set daily lineups and stuff. Wow. Just went crazy with it, saw how good I could be. You know, I ended up winning maybe 40 out of the 85 or so. And then I was just like, oh, maybe I should play for money and never really got into that. But I just started getting less and less leagues, higher and higher quality competition and yeah, it just it just led up to basically where I, where I am today. Just kept chasing higher and higher goals. Nice. And what which formats do you prefer? Um, my preferences. I I mean I'm I'm big into Dynasty. That's my main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Roto. Um, I definitely prefer OBP leagues over average leagues. Um, really like auctions because it gives me a chance to get any player I want. Don't have to deal with the draft strategy. I like the slow drafts because it allows me time to think about what I'm doing and see what's unfolding. Right. Um, yeah. And just not the major like uh, advanced stuff, but like, you know, I prefer quality starts and saves plus holds instead of wins and saves. 
It's got gotcha. you. Kind of where the game's going a little bit more. So. Absolutely. I think you get a chance to use a little bit more of the player pool as well because yeah. there's a lot of relievers that are really good and, you know, it's good to have them have a little value and, you know, to, you know, and I think it's, it's cool to speculate on bullpens and stuff. Like, I've, it's really one of my favorite things to do when I play fantasy um, in my home league, just, I made us a, a safe plus whole week and it's fun. It's uh, it's, it's because you still got the guys who, who, who will like draft all the closers, you know, and you'll mm-hmm. get the guys who just go, you know, a dollar each on just, you know, and just stream some, some um, sold guys. So it's, um, it's interesting. I like, um, I like dabbling with the safe plus hold. So Nick, what about you? What, what, which formats do you like to play and when did you start playing? Um, I actually started a little over 20 years ago. Uh, really, it was when the web first started to produce good fantasy play. And I started, I think it was a ESPN. Uh, I started with the Fantasy Football League and won that. And I thought, oh, this is cool. <laughs> but I'm really a baseball fan. So, you know, I tried that and I found I wasn't as good at that because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was picking guys I liked, not guys I should have been drafting. And I didn't know any better. And so I, I went to the bookstore and I went to the baseball section. I'm trying to find you know, something that could help me figure this game out, this roto game, whatever that is. And I found two books that I sort of liked a lot. One was uh, Baseball Prospectus and the other was The Baseball Forecaster. And um, I, I soon realized that as much as I enjoyed baseball prospectus, it was more geared toward real life teams, not the fantasy game. And so it was cool to see who these guys were coming up for the Yankees. But I wanted to know, how do you win Roto Leagues? And the baseball forecaster was all about that. And so I started to really understand that and had a a new league that was starting up, a keeper league. And it was right after McGuire and Sosa had that amazing year. And so who was I going to get for first base? I knew everybody in the league was going to be bidding on those two guys. It was obvious. And we had to do like a blind bid, this initial bid. You just bid whatever you want. And whoever got the top would get that guy. And so I had to think about it strategically. And I thought, I don't want to chase those guys they're going to be too expensive. And the forecaster clued me in that Todd Hilton was about to break out. And so I bid $29 on Hilton. I got him, had him for $29 for the first four years of that league when he was at his absolute peak in Colorado. And meanwhile, you know, the, the other big names are starting to fall and Hilton's becoming the, the guy. And so that really taught me the value of analytics of looking at the skills and the ones that are about to really break out. So I did Roto for quite a while, but I sort of grew tired of Roto. I, I grew tired of the dynamics of Roto leagues where people give up in summer or earlier because there's just no hope for them. And I started to get more into head-to-head leagues. And then like Mike says, um, I'm all about dynasty now. If I discover a guy, why should I ever have to give him up? I want to keep him. He's my guy, right? So I play uh, dynasty leagues and um, I prefer points and head-to-head because I, I do this to play with friends 
and um, I, I like the idea of the weekly challenge against your your buddies. And I'm also in the um, TDBC league that Prospects Live has put out um, as one of those inaugural ones. That's the thing where you uh, do best ball. And I found best ball was really cool. So you just do the draft, you do 50 players, and then it just does your best lineup every week. And um, this particular wrinkle is you would draft for five years. Yeah. And so you had to think in the draft, who's going to be still good five years from now, right? And so that was interesting to me. So in, in both cases, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, dynasty play, but and in both cases, I'm dealing with points, but there are uh, different aspects to it. I love that aspect of the five-year fifth yeah. um, best ball, 50 round. I did one earlier this year, and I need to do another one because I was, uh, um, I went in with not enough of a plan, I think, of, of, you know, I think I was too much in the middle of trying to forecast points, you know, now and for, you know, down, down the road. And I see that there was, to to end of the spectrum a lot of people drafted just strictly for now 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 you know just hoping to gobble up points and a lot of people and then later on just tried to fill in with some you know possible guys to come down the road it's it's such an interesting format it, it is. it's yeah it's very well put together i i loved it and but i do have to do another one because i was look at my team <laughs> the other day and i was like what did i do <laughs> The beauty of the fantasy game is you can always play another one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, have you, did, did you get involved with that at all? The, the um, TDBC? Like, am I saying that right? Or yeah. Did, did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what does that stand for? The Dynasty. Oh, Baseball Championship. It stands baseball for Champions. the Dynasty Baseball Championship. Right. Yeah. No, I've never played that. That's something I've been interested in. I actually just yesterday got invited into a league with a bunch of prospect guys. Um, I'm trying to find the name of it here. It's the Prospects 365 Expert League. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. 20 Team Dynasty League with like James Anderson, Chris Clegg, Eric Cross, like basically everyone on Twitter that is a pushover, in other words, right? <laughs> yeah, Ray Butler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. And I happen to uh, take over a team that has Juan Soto. So. Oh, well, nice. Yeah, I'm really excited. He's probably my favorite player. So uh, that um, that's the big league I'm, I'm in. And I'm trying to get into the the TG FBI with Justin Mason also. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. This year and just any other industry leagues I get invited into in dynasty startups. You know, I'm pretty much just limiting to hard leagues that have categories that I like. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Make it too short to take a category you don't like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I've done it. I've played them all before. So it's like, it's not like I haven't given them a shot. You know, I've just, I found what I like and want to grind those. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to get into um, what you guys do and providing content for the fantasy baseball world. So I'll give you guys an opportunity each to you know, just go through where people can find your content these days, what what you've done, what your future plans are as well. Anyone can go first. Don't be afraid to start. All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm one of the minor league 
uh, team at Baseball HQ. After reading the forecaster and going to baseballhq.com for many years, I answered one of their calls for new writers and promptly got rejected. And the next year I tried it again and got rejected. And the third year I tried it again and for some reason they let me in. And I've been writing for HQ ever since, uh, various roles, but for the last uh, six or seven years, I've been on the minor league team. And that really came about organically. Um, I started this dynasty league where I suddenly realized I needed to know a whole lot more about minor leaguers. And they gradually noticed that I was answering all the questions in the minor league forum that they have on their site. And so they said, hey, why don't you be one of our minor league guys? And so one of the things that I do is um, Baseball HQ writes about every single minor leaguer who gets called up during the course of the season. The first time they get called up, they get a paragraph written about them, everybody. And that's one of my duties is to, on my night when I do it, whoever gets called up that day, I have to write about them. And some of these guys are guys you do not want, but they're needed, right? Some, you know, nondescript middle reliever who gets called up because the guy's on you know maternity leave or something or paternity leave and um they're going to be up for a day or two they really don't have much of a chance nobody cares about them you're not going to want them on your team their parents care about them and i always think all right i'll write it in terms of in case their mom or dad reads this that i wanted it to be you know kind um and but i had one of the fellow writers there said before he started writing for HQ that he said he loved the fact that we covered that because nobody ever writes about these guys. So here is a chance to really explore someone who this might be their one chance to make it to the major leagues for a week, but hey, he's got something or else they wouldn't have brought him up. And so what is that something? So that's what I do. And then um, I started my own hobby site called uh, milbanalysis.com obviously stands for minor league baseball analysis. And it's just an outgrowth of the kind of analysis I do for minor leaguers that I've developed over the years. And it's a chance for me just to write about in season typically. So it's kind of quiet now, but in season, I look at who's doing well in double A or high A that has suddenly popped up on our radar. And he might actually get called up in the near future, or at least people are gonna start writing about him. And the problem in dynasty leagues is everybody wants these guys as soon as somebody writes about them. Right. So what I'm trying to do is teach people how to look at the, the statistics and find guys who are about to be noticed. You notice them first, you can grab them first. And then I also wrote a, a book um, ebook only because it's full of live links and actual video is called a visual guide to minor leaguers using graphics to find prospects where I basically show you how to do the kind of analysis that is pretty simple but it's effective in finding uh, minor leaguers who are suddenly showing they've got a, a skill that has put them on their our, our radar and you can find out these guys before your league mates do if you know what to look for. I also tell you what not to look for, what to watch out for, all the things that you need to know when analyzing minor leaguers, it's in that book. 
That's awesome. I, I remember how much it helped me. The book helped me. Um, I would just like learning spreadsheets at the same time as I was reading your books. And I was really starting to understand the conditional formatting and just like making things pop out on a, on a big level. And it was, I think it was, it helped me a lot in my minor league um, analysis to do like you said, because you have a nice, awesome color coded, you know, sheet that tells you what, to, you know, what, what the levels of the thresholds are for the, you know, key statistics. And I found it so helpful and just being able to look and stuff popped out on me on the page. So I thought that was Thank really, you. yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad it helped. It, yeah, it just helped clear. me overall, like in, in just in, even in my life in general, I said, okay, so I need to make these Excel sheets and make them pop, you know, so exactly. it was, yeah, yeah. What's absolutely. easier to, to analyze a bunch of text on different rows or to see rows that turn from red to green? Right. It, it's so much more obvious when you just see the color, giving the brain the clue that, hey, something's happening here. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Very well. Mike, tell me about your path to being an analyst. Uh, an analyst. Well, um, as I said, I played a bunch of leagues. And then uh, in 2019, you know, I found myself co-managing a team in a league called Bristol Bullpen on ESPN. It was a, an auction league with a bunch of well-known fantasy writers I'd never played against before. Uh, Todd Zola, Tristan Cockroft, Eric Carabell, to name a few. Um, I ended up finishing second place in that league by half a point uh, behind Todd Zola. And uh, I thought it maybe at that point, maybe there's something more here for me besides just playing random leagues. Uh, so I ended up taking a chance one day uh, in June this in, of 2020, reaching out to Todd Zola, uh, which at that stage was out of my character. Uh, uh, considering everything that had happened uh, around the world, I, basically felt I had nothing to lose at that point. So um, when I reached out to him, he was very nice. And he basically gave me a chance to write for creative sports. Um, just taught me the basics, you know, gave me a lot of freedom to talk about the things I was comfortable with. And uh, after about four articles or so for him, uh, Jake Tillinghast from Prospects Worldwide reached out to me, asked if I wanted to start his dynasty section started writing write-ups of the top 10 at each position, you know, kind of detailed stuff. And basically uh, just been doing that for the last uh, four months or so. And then recently uh, Matt Williams at Roto Fanatic reached out to me and asked if I wanted to join them. So Todd Zola gave me the approval to move on. And now I'm writing with uh, Roto Fanatic and Prospects Worldwide. I haven't put anything out yet for Roto Fanatic, but I'm working on a top 300 dynasty prospects for them. And I'm excited to see where that can go because there's a lot of smart people there. They're going to put cool graphics in there and right. really get it look, look good down the road. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. Very well. I mean, it, it, I remember when I first read your article, this seemed like you've been writing for way longer than, you know, just recently. So very well. Just you have like a writing background, or that just came all natural to you? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's natural. Or I have a writing background. I just have a baseball background. Gotcha. I've written a lot. I've read a lot of stuff from people for the last twenty years, and kind of just combined it all into my own thing. Just trying it out at the time. Yeah. You know, I read back at some of my first stuff, and I'm not as 
thrilled about it as I would be today, but that's the same with anything, I guess. Practice makes perfect. The Poor Hitter Podcast will be right back. Enjoy this wonderful break, the robot segment by Phil Dusso at PhilDusso27 on Twitter. This is the Robot Is It Real segment where the robot himself, Phil Dusso, talks about random baseball stats. I've heard way too often that we should fade a player because last year he had a 100 average or a 200 ex-woba against breaking pitchers. This never made sense to me because average and ex-woba are based on an at-bat, so those stats can't be calculated properly on a per-pitch basis. If a batter whiffs on two fastballs, then lays off two curveballs, and finally strikes out on third curveball, it hurts his average and ex-woba on breaking pitches. But that's not the real story of the at-bat. What really happened is that because he couldn't hit the fastball, he found himself behind in the count. I decided to look at hitters who faced 300 or more breaking pitches in, cons- in consecutive seasons since 2015, and try to project their ex-woba on breaking pitches the following year. If I'm using a player's total ex-woba and ex-woba against breaking pitches from 2020 to predict his ex-woba on breaking pitches in 2021, I need to use an 80-20 split in favor of the overall ex-woba. That means the player's overall skill is a much better indicator of how he will do against breaking pitches than how he actually performed against breaking pitches in the previous year. In other words, a batter's ex-woba against breaking pitches is very inconsistent from year to year, so there's no point in using it. First question I have for you guys is, I think this is something that a lot of people struggle with when they play fantasy, and that's how to trade for prospects and how to trade them away. With the, how do you attack that whole subject in this fantasy game? You first have to know what you're trying to do. Um, like you say, trade for prospects. Are you trying to win this year? Are you trying to rebuild? You have to understand exactly the state of your team. Right. But then you've also got to know your other owners because you're going to find different personality types in your league. And some of these guys are going to be prospect mad. And you won't ever get the top guys from them. These, these are going to be the guys that are going to try and do the you know three for one, four for one deals with others, but they don't want to give up that one, right? Other owners will, um, they like to just win with these boring veteran players and they find good success with that, right? They, they get the guys everyone else is sort of bored with and they win. And so those guys, yeah, sure, you can get prospects from them if you give them a boring veteran. So a lot of it comes down to knowing the league dynamic. And I know in my dynasty league, I know these owners so well. I know exactly who to go to for either, every kind of deal. And um, that gives you a good head start. Right. I think that's like half the battle. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, knowing your league, it's so pivotal. Knowing how people draft, knowing the type of players they covet. And, you know, just keep keep some league, league history. Keep some league data, you know. Uh, it's the easiest thing to do. Mike, would um, tell me how you like to, you know, trade trade in uh, trade for prospects or trade them away. Well, as Nick said, it's a really good idea to become familiar with all the different managers in your league. You know, take time to talk with them if you can. 
figure out what kind of deals and types of players excite them. Uh, you know, if someone doesn't value prospects, there isn't really much you can do with it. You just need to find the people who do and trade them your prospects when you're trying to win. And trading for prospects is just the opposite. You, you know, want to identify the managers who don't value them as much as others. You know, it's going to be much easier to get a big name prospect from that person rather than person who daydreams about the best case scenario with every prospect they roster. Uh, yeah. I think overall, a lot of it has to do with building relationships, getting to know your competition and timing is important with anything. You know, and, and the main thing is if you follow the general rule of buy low, sell high, you should be in good shape. And some right. owners, um, they have rooting interests, right? And so if you have a player and an organization they love, that's a good way to get an entree in. And other owners, they, they hate pitching prospects, right? They want nothing but batters, right? So um, you, you can use those um, feelings and prejudices to sort of work out a deal. Maybe not directly. Sometimes you've had, I've seen success where you do one deal with um, owner A and a separate deal with owner B based on the guys you got in the first one. So if you're a real wheeler dealer, you can do okay. You just have to be on top of things. Right. I just, I, I'm in two dynasty leagues. Um, I started one up during the shutdown with most of my um, play uh, owners from my home league. And then I just took over a, a team in a 20 team dynasty league. And I found out that I wanted to just, go immediately into making it my own team. So I went into complete tank mode, not to tank to like, I know it was interesting to learn that people actually like sit guys on the bench to, you know, to make sure they get the first or second pitch. I was pretty surprised at that. I was wondering. Like, not in my league. That, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was, a, it was an odd yeah, it was an odd phenomenon to see, but I I quickly wanted to in this new league I took over just go for some for some you know young elite prospects and I gave up some talent, but um, I wanted to make it my own. But I did quickly realize how much you know the 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 elite names hold. Um, it's such a big draw, you know. The, you could really get a lot for you know one player. You have to give up a ton. Um, so it's pretty interesting dynamic. You raise an interesting point. I'm, I'm the commissioner of that longtime dynasty league. And so I feel a certain sense of responsibility in doing deals that I want to make sure the other owner feels like they got a good deal. I never try to rip anybody off. And because I don't do that, people are willing to deal with me. And it means sometimes that you technically lose the deal. But if you get what you need the other guy gets more of what he needs, you can both benefit. It doesn't have to be, if I win, he has to lose. You can both win. And I think those are the best kind of deals, but that depends on you being willing to go into a deal where you say, you know what? He got the better end of it. If it helps you, who cares? Yeah, I think that's a great, yeah, Mike. Yeah. I agree. I, I've lost deals on paper countless times, especially once I became less rigid about what I was trying to do. And, you know, many times it turns out I won the deal down the road. Sure. You know, um, 
who's to say in the short yeah. term, right? We, we just yeah, exactly. don't know. If you're playing against good managers and you have a lot of experience yourself, you just have to trust that everyone's trying to do what's best for themselves. And I, yeah, I've seen people get harassed for deals that they didn't, they came out way ahead down the line. Yeah, I, I'm not, a, you know, I know there's different type of negotiators out there, but I'm not mm -hmm. one to go straight for that. You know, I know people just like to try, right? Okay, I'll just try to sneak this in. I'll try to get a real big edge. But when I see a deal that starts off very fair, or even where you just look at it, you're like, wow, I would accept that, you know, as is. I know people who who said this to me and admitted that they, they liked the first deal they saw, but they just wanted to negotiate anyway, because why would I accept the deal on the first time around? I'm like, I don't know, to just not waste time. <laughs> you know, what else? I guess you have nothing else to do in your life. But yeah, I'm, I'm more of like a realistic offer guy, you know, yeah. be, be, in the, be in the vicinity. And because just things get done that way, I feel like I could take it more seriously. And, you know, I don't have to come back with some sarcastic, what are you kidding me? Type of remark. <laughs> If you make offers, people listen. It's like, yeah, he's right. He's in the ballpark. He, he's the one who overpaid that one time, you know, or whatever. Like, he's going to give you a real deal. Right. Right. Good point. Good, good point. And, you know, I think it's funny when you hear this right after you make a deal or you get a text or you see like, oh, man, I would have gave you so much more or I can't believe you gave up. Well, you should negotiate. You should talk, you know, interact, you know, it's just undoubted deals an email or something, you know, get the, get the juices flowing, you know, saying, do you guys get the often the, um, the, the, the decline and no, no remark or like, no, yeah. no, no effort afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I hate that. You spend all that time you put together what you think is a pretty fair deal overall. And then it's just decline, no explanation, no email, no text, nothing. And you just think, what was it that insulting? What? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Oh man, yeah. I I feel like there's so there's so many times that's happened. Um, so staying on the prospects, obviously. Um, I wrote this unsexy prospects. Um, you know, maybe guys like Jake Cronenworth or anyone you know um, that kind of flies under the radar of being elite um, prospects. And I just want to maybe touch on this and talk about maybe, you know, why guys maybe fly on the radar. Um, and, you know, if you have any type of players in mind that you think kind of fly under the radar that, that, that may be able to produce in fantasy either this year or in the coming future. See, I, I took this a different way. Um, I try to avoid what you described as the unsexy prospects. <laughs> this I'm is good. This is good to know. I'm here to learn, Nick. <laughs> I'm looking for upside. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Cronenworth. Um, yeah, pretty good year, except come September, he had a pretty lousy September. And that's when the pitcher started to adjust. And then his team notices that he's not hitting lefties. And then they go and sign Kim. And then you've got to begin to realize that, oh, maybe he wasn't that well thought of. Because when the scout said he's more likely to become a utility bat, might be correct. And so, look, last year was fluky, right? It's the whole season was 
um, a short sample size. Right. So we're going to see some guys who did really well last year not do so well this year. And other guys who struggled mightily last year will come right back to normal this year. And it's nothing more than just the normal um, fluid changes that occur in the game all the time that would have happened if we had six months to play last year and just they ran out of time before those things could happen. So my view of, of prospects is very simple. I want guys, batters who get on base, right? I don't want these guys who strike out a ton. And then you've got to have at least one plus tool. You either have to have plus power, you got to have plus speed, or I don't want to look at you. Because why are the teams going to give you a role if you bring nothing plus to the table? I realize sometimes these boring guys come up and do okay and the stars don't, but you put your money where it's most likely to go. And that's the guys with the loud tools. Nice. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I agree with everything he said there. Um, you know, there's a reason probably that Jake Cronenworth didn't debut until he was 25. Um, I, you know, that's not to say he can't be good for the next three or four years. And sometimes someone like Jose Batista kind of blew up in his late twenties. So it is possible, right. but it's not something you should put your chips in on, I guess, over and over. Um, you know, a few names that come to mind for me are, these are guys that I don't view as sexy prospects, um, but I could see them having value. Uh, you know, Ryan Mountcastle, I'm probably pretty low on him compared to a lot of people that focus on OBP. He's a, he's definitely a better player for average leagues. For OBP league, Seth Beer, you know, he's has a lot of power, just doesn't really have a defensive spot. Might, may take a trade or something, but I do think the hit tool and power is legitimate. Jared Olivo is another guy in his mid-20s that has some speed for the Pirates. You know, he could come up and help at some point. Jonathan India, another guy that's been kind of forgotten about, but he was he was viewed similarly as like maybe a Nick Senzel at some point. You know, and I don't know, I think he's someone that people would kind of forget about, but I could see him playing well in the majors at some point. And uh, last guy, one guy you'd mentioned earlier, Zach McKinstry. Uh, he's someone that people have talked about. Uh, no one's ranking him super high, but he has, he's a good player, basically. Like, I think he's probably like a Jake Cronenworth. I don't know if he's going to be able to get into the Dodgers lineup a lot, but I could see him maybe having value when he's in there. You know, he'd be someone you stream or something. When right. Those are good there. names, Mike. I like those names. And, and you're right. Sometimes these guys come up and they do pretty well. And if you're in a redraft league, uh, those might be the guys that actually help you win that year. And some of the stars that get held back won't help you. So nothing wrong with grabbing those guys that other people are ignoring if they will help your team that year. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I like beer if, um, you know, they go with the DH. I think, you know, that could be a major impact for him. And 
I don't think, you know, right now roster resource has Anthony Alfred as the starting outfielder for the Pirates. But do you guys think that Oliver is a better player than Anthony Alfred? Do you think that eventually or like you think he'll have more at bats, I guess, this year than Alfred? I personally do think Oliva is a better prospect. Uh, I think he's got better OBP skills. Alfred's one of those guys kind of like Monte Harris, Harrison that the tools are there, but I just don't think he's a good enough hitter. He hasn't diddle. shown it, yeah. No. Just hasn't shown it. So right. one, of the, one of the things about um, prospecting for young players is to know when to drop them. Right. You have to be sometimes ruthless about that because if they don't produce – move on to the next guy who might and occasionally you will lose out on the guy who you know Bautista comes on late and you think oh man I could have had him most of the time you will not regret letting those young guys go that aren't producing if especially if you can see that the skills underlying it just aren't showing much right absolutely totally makes sense um yeah, Zach, Zach McKinstry is a guy that popped out to me, Nick, when I, you know, was co- starting to color code everything. And <laughs> some, like, I think his one average and his short stop just, like, popped out of me. And I was like, whoa, who is this guy? You know, and then I read, you know, some right, some people were saying, like, he's, like, a possible Daniel Murphy, you know, like, coming up. And, you know, they just just looking into the organization, uh, organization and the way they like to handle their multi-eligibility players is kind of, like a guy who's like, make sure. And I told everybody about him. I was like, I found this guy. I think he's going to be the next big thing. And when he got called up, I was so happy. It was <laughs> like, I'm sure that's how you, you know, guys feel like all the time, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. covering, covering yeah. prospects. It was like the first big, you know, like deep dig I did that got called up. And I was like, yes, I made it. No, I didn't. But yeah. <laughs> it's fun. I will tell you this. As much as you can use some numbers, when people say don't, scout the stat line there's a lot of truth to that because you should always listen to the scouts they're the ones who can really separate the the contenders from the pretenders right and when i talk about finding guys who are popping up what i'm saying is i'm finding guys who i'm hoping the scouts will write about a month from now and validate the guy i just picked up if they don't, if they say, yeah, he had a you know good two-week stretch there, but he's not going to succeed because X, Y, Z, drop him at that point. Scouting right. him first. Got it. Makes sense. Um, so I, I want to move on to organizations and um, how, you know, maybe some trends that you find with certain organizations, uh, teams that do certain things well, teams that don't develop players in a specific manner and yeah things like that yeah um i've got to the point where i'm just steering clear of rockies prospects and right you think i'm talking about pitchers i'm talking about <laughs> rockies prospect when you know when's the last time they developed a good corner infielder they just love to sign veteran guys to block their analytics department doesn't seem to be doing much I just don't want any part of it until they get that straightened out. I'm sorry, Rockies prospects. I, I, I feel for you. Uh, conversely, if you're a pitcher and the Rays grab you, uh, suddenly my radar goes off. It's like, oh, what, what do they see in them? What, is, what are they going to fix? They, they, they are so good at finding 
guys who do something they love well and then fix whatever isn't well. And next thing you know, they've got a great pitcher. So I, I trust the Rays completely. And if the Padres bring up from the minor leaguer some minor, um, some middle reliever I've never heard of, I, I, I figure this guy is going to be getting holes like crazy. A year later, he's going to be a closer and he's going to get a huge contract and he's going to be one of the biggest closers in the game. And I don't know how they do it, but they always seem to bring up these bullpen guys that are just tremendous. So are you saying maybe then the Rays didn't have enough of Snell, but they covered it Patino? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you see these deals and you wonder, well, what do they know? What do they know? Right. Um, it could be that sometimes that, as Freud would say, a cigar sometimes is, is just a cigar, right? Sometimes <laughs> trade is just a trade where they gave up someone they actually like, but they like the new guy better. Um, I don't know. I own Snell in this uh, dynasty league and I'd like him to go deeper in games. I'm hoping maybe he will. On the other hand, I'm not really thrilled with how San Diego develops starting pitchers. Right. And so I'm not overly thrilled with that particular deal because um, I, they just haven't been developing in the way you, you should in that ball in that ballpark you love to see them but there's something about the development so yeah definitely organizations they have trends um yankees they their minor league roster is just stuffed with uh these pitchers who can throw 100 miles an hour and sometimes that's all they can do but boy they find these guys who can, <laughs> they're all like six foot seven and they throw 100 you know it's just organizational tendencies. Right. Mike, what do you see that popped out to you? Yeah, some of the things I've noticed over time, you know, obviously the Indian Indians pitching is, I mean, going back to Corey Kluber, he wasn't very highly touted. Kane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, you know, so I'm always interested in what they have going on. The guys, you know, and when they have an elite prospect or someone that I view as such, on the pitching side, I mean, I can't even imagine, like Daniel Espino is someone I really like. I, I just think he could turn into an ace, basically, with his stuff in that organization. And then got other guys, like, you know, some people are lower on Tristan McKenzie. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's on the Indians, so, and he's got some upside. They've turned lesser prospects into real good players, so... Uh, you know, and another one I've been noticing recently is the Reds um, with Luis Castillo and when Trevor Bauer was there and yeah, Tyler Molly. Um, so I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing there. So someone like Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo, I'm going to be paying more attention to them than I have in the past probably. Um, and besides that, you know, I'm, I really like with the Mariners, Giants. Rays, Dodgers do in the international and in scouting and development. There's probably some other teams I'm leaving off there, but those are some teams I've noticed keep just finding these 16 year olds. And then two years later, they're, they're the players that everyone wants. So, I mean, it might be a, a recent trend, but that's something I've noticed. And then uh, some things I'm skeptical of, you know, I've always, 
been skeptical of Rockies pitching. Like, uh, I've never liked a Rockies pitcher, basically. Just say and, no. And the <laughs> Orioles are another organization. When they had Gaussman and Bundy and just other guys, Zach Britton, they've never seemed to take those top-end pitching prospects and make them into what they could be in the majors. And so someone like Grayson Rodriguez, you know, I actually really like him a lot. Yeah. But as he's on Baltimore, it gives me pause. Um, yeah, and just basically, basically just general stuff. I avoid bad pitchers' parks. I, yeah. you know, look for good hitters' parks when I'm going after hitters. And, you know, it's not everything, but it's a factor into the decision. If, if I see two guys as equal, one of them's hitting in a pitcher's park, and one of them's sitting in a hitter's park, you know, I'm going to give the edge to that guy. Right. And that was actually my next question too. It was a perfect lead in is to, you know, to talk about some, um, some things to really pay attention to while you're prospecting um, and, you know, to, to really put in the back of your mind about which, which leagues are very hitter friendly. Some of the, you know, hitter parks that are extremely friendly. Um, Cause I think it's pretty pivotal to learn. You know, I just even just diving in, this year, I, I really paid attention. I was trying to forecast, like, Luis Robert and Kyle Tucker. And, you know, I was looking at their stats. And I, was, I remember, you know, hearing multiple prospect guys talk about, you know, you have to see what parks they played in, make sure it wasn't super, you know, super hitter friendly and stats weren't overblown. So if you guys could just maybe touch on, you know, some, you know, uh, either, either a level or anything, parks sure, that, sure. you know, yeah. Um, the famous one, of course, is the Pacific Coast League, which is notoriously hitter-friendly. And in particular, Albuquerque and Las Vegas, two AAA teams. Las Vegas is where pitchers go to die. Um, it's just awful to try to pitch there. And so I've always said that if you have a good pitching prospect and he goes to Vegas and puts up a 1.5 whip, consider that a moral victory. Because... <laughs> just get him out of there as fast as you can before he gets discouraged. In fact, some teams will skip him over that park just to avoid that if they're a really good prospect. Um, the Asheville, North Carolina park, it's an advanced class A team for Houston now. Uh, that's also a very good park to hit. And so if you have a pitching prospect who's just struggling there, wait until the next year, see how he does at double-A uh, before you give up. On the other side of it is like the Florida State League, a low single-A league. That's a, that's a pitching league. Uh, pitchers, they just thrive there, and the batters just can't do anything. The ball just dies there. And so you think, oh, what happened to my hitting prospect? He got signed out of college, and he goes to a Florida State League, and he just he's not hitting anything. Wait till the year later. You might be surprised. Yeah, um, I agree with it on the PCL being the first hitters league that comes to my mind. You know, I'm spending time there myself. Um, I've seen a lot of big stats put up by guys who didn't turn out to be great major leaguers. Um, also, the Florida State League and is the first one that comes to mind for pitchers. Uh, basically you know i tend to notice when pitchers do well in the pcl and when hitters do well in the florida state league um, that just catches my eye 
Um, and yeah, and generally stats in the lower levels are less important. Um, there's a lot of tinkering and development happening and uh, I tend to look at the tools more than the stats at that age, you know. Uh, someone like Ronnie uh, Mauricio is a good example. He's, you know, still viewed as a top 100 guy with upside, you know, because, because if and when he clicks, he's a lot more than that. But statistically, it doesn't look like he's that player yet. Um, and finally, the biggest jump in the minor leagues is from high A to double A. I'm particularly interested in seeing how players handle that transition. You know, overall, I'm looking tools, age versus level, scouting reports, the advanced metrics that are available, you know, and looking at some of the same things I use to evaluate major league players when possible. Yeah, those are good points. Um, I've also noted that um, if your pitcher has struggling with a walk rate, but he's in the lower levels, don't be overly concerned. That's sometimes the last thing for them to learn that control. Uh, conversely, strikeouts for a pitcher are a good thing, no matter where it occurs. If they can dominate, that's good. Now, sometimes a batter at the lower levels has a good walk rate because the pitchers can't throw strikes. They're not that good yet. Right. And so you can't think, wow, my guy really has a good batting eye. No, it may not be. He gets a, a tougher uh, pitchers. He won't do as well. And um, we talk about stats, but you really shouldn't focus too much on them until you get to double A, because that really is the separator where you've now taken a big leap forward in talent. And if you're doing well there, then you start to notice. That's when everyone, that's when they perk up and they think, oh, okay, now he's really showing it against uh, some hard competition. Right. I think you guys brought up some really, really awesome points right there because I, you know, when you're first starting to get into dynasty and prospect like myself, like, you know, I was always in, in keeper leagues, but never really um, had to go too deep. You know, I was always worried about maybe the top 15, 20 guys that were going to come up every year. But as you go deeper and deeper and get into dynasty leagues and you got to dig deeper, it's so crucial to, you know, to really understand what you guys just, mentioned about, you know, guys, um, pitchers experimenting and, you know, not finding the plate. So to look at, you know, don't take too, don't, don't take the walk rate as, you know, it's just a ton of things in the parks too. It's just, it, it's really a totally different ball game when you're getting into, I mean, I feel like when I'm watching videos, you know, of players that I don't know, you know, and trying to see, you know, what's real and what's not real. So, you know, I give you guys a lot of credit because that's it's really a whole nother animal you know when you don't when you have to form more of the of of the opinion on your own you know without hearing group think you know uh, there's less of it I, I think and less things to go off of so um it's really awesome i think i think we're good i think the listeners are gonna get in going to be taking a lot of notes like I am right now. I have, I'm scribbling down tons of things. <laughs> yeah, this is why I wrote that book. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know. The, put it all in the book. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely helps a lot. So um, I played in draft and hold leagues, DC leagues. Mm-hmm. Last year I took, you know, the short season. I, I probably took a little too many 
look, a little too many, too much, too many, too many. Yeah, too many, too many rookies. Um, and I quickly learned that I have to, you know, restrain myself from doing so. And this year I've done two DCs and I only took one rookie in two drafts. And that was in round 50. I took Josh Jung. Um, but, you know, it's definitely something I think, you know, it's easy to fall in love with. You want to get the guy, um, you know, that's going to come up and maybe help your team. But realistically, too, he might not play at all. And it's just a wasted spot. So. I want to know you, your guys' thoughts on those, um, you know, playing in draft and holds. And if there's like a guy that you think that may come up this year that you could take a chance on, even if you feel like it's not the best play. Mike, you want to go first, Mike? Uh, a player that I – can you repeat that question? A player, play, a player for draft and hold that – you know, like for a 50 man draft and hold that maybe you feel like even if it's not a, 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 a great play in, in rostering a rookie, do you feel like any, any one of the rookies can come up and maybe give you some good chunks of playing time this year? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's hard to, to say exactly which player it will be, but uh, I'm just looking at players maybe on teams that aren't, necessarily contending and they have openings on their team and yeah if someone that comes to mind I'm probably going to talk about him a little bit later is uh, Jeter Downs for the Red Sox yeah uh, I don't think he's going to start on the <clears throat> on the team necessarily but I do think he's going to come up and be their second baseman once the team gains the extra year of eligibility and I do think he can help uh, in all leagues this year and obviously, it's not a guarantee, but the, that's a player that comes to mind that I wouldn't mind drafting late uh, for someone that doesn't have a job necessarily out the gate. I agree with that, and I think it's a good name to pick. I would say also, whichever arm at Detroit doesn't break with the team, uh, Manning, Mize, or Scooble, that probably not all three will be there on opening day, but they're all good. And whichever one doesn't, grab them because he probably will later on. Right. Absolutely. I, I know that everyone's in love with taking Wanda Franco and Hellenic <laughs> in the two hundreds and, you know, of draft and hold. And I just don't, I don't get it. Like I had, I had a, I had a best ball draft that we did for some listeners and, you know, we did some podcast on it and through the blessing of the league, we were able to do, uh, stupid pick draft and we all we all went around to you know decide like hey you know and we it was a consensus you know why why is this happening why why does Franco and Melanic go so early when it's a possibility that they may not give you anything you know um so yeah. it's it's tough it's a tough play you know it's it's the allure you know it's the it's it's the FOMO right the fear of missing out sure right what are you fearing most? Missing out on a on a rookie, or missing out on the championship? <laughs> Amen, Nick. <laughs> Amen um, to that one. This relates to one of the questions you got on Twitter. Um, you know, rookie eligible arms that could help us this year. There's a bunch of them who are already in the rotation, but they still have rookie eligibility, right? So you got Sixto Sanchez and Ian Anderson, and uh, you know these guys 
are where they're already there. Scooble is probably you know in, in the in the starting rotation. They're going to help. They're going to help this year. So there are definitely arms that are out there that uh, in a redraft league you can benefit from. And then the bats, like Mike says, you know, uh, you can find guys who are just on the cusp of getting called up, and you should have them up by June, and they can really help you. Yeah, I will in the redraft, uh, I do think high-profile prospects are drafted too high. I used to do it all the time when I was younger. Um, the uncertainty about the roles in season, you know, often lead to them not living up to expectations, you know. You know, depending on, depending on your league size, you know, I'll only draft and stash prospects in the late rounds that have, like, potential to really help, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, players, I believe, will either start in the majors or be called up quickly and have the upside to be a mixed league asset immediately. You know where you get the big names? Dynasty. Then get as many big names as you want, and you don't care when they come up. Right. That's when you do that. If you're in a redraft league, you've got to think about playing time. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. All right, so we're going to do a little three-up, three-down segment. Um, something I like to do on the podcast. I thought it was a great idea that you guys brought it up to do. So we're going to talk about three players that you're up on, three players you're down on, a little quick quick snapshot of uh, what you like about them, what you don't like about them, and what, what can we expect maybe this year or their ETA for being productive. So let's go with up first. And Mike, you go first with your, with, with one guy that you're up, that you're up on. Okay. Uh, I just mentioned him recently, but uh, mm-hmm. talk a little bit more, more about him. It's Jeter Downs. Uh, it's no secret. I'm high on Downs for those who follow me, you know, uh, there are many things here that, that I look for in players, you know, not only from a skill and talent perspective, but also the situation within the fantasy game. You know, second base from everything I'm seeing and hearing is thin at the major league level. Um, Xander Bogertz is locked in at shortstop, so second base is there for the taking. Um, you know, he has a well-rounded skill set that I expect will help in every category. Uh, you know, I really like his bat, his ability to take a walk. He's capable of playing shortstop if Bogertz goes down. Uh, and I know it during the two early mocks, uh, I noticed he is listed at shortstop on fan track. So there's some dual position eligibility in play. Um, side note, I also noticed Spencer Torkelson is listed at third base there. Uh, so I like both those guys as these kind of speculative late, late picks. Um, you know, I'm still looking at Jones and all prospects more from a long-term perspective, but this is a guy I'm willing to stash late in redraft if the signs are pointing towards an early seed motion in the job. Um, basically, yes. long term, I like Downs as much as players like, you know, as much or more than Nick Gonzalez and him from the Padres. Wow. Um, basically, he's a top 25 prospect in Dynasty Leagues for me. I had him as high as number 11 last month, but I pulled myself back a little bit on that. Um, he's probably going to be top 20 by opening day. And I'm not sure if a lot of people see him in that light. So, of course, I could be wrong, but he's a guy I'm targeting in all formats. He, he's a guy when I watched on video, it just seems like um, like he's, he's fluid. He's easy. Like, um, there's, you know, like it just looks like he got a nice motion, graceful in doing everything. If nothing looks forced or like angry, violent movements. Um, I definitely like what I saw. And I see 100, you know, most of the, 
projection system to have him for a hundred plate appearance. I know that's you know relatively safe, but do you think that's something he could top this year, Mike? Over a hundred plate appearances in the majors? I do. I, yeah. I think yes, I do. I, do. I think he's going to come up because I don't expect the Red Sox to be a great team this year unless they start signing a bunch of good players. And I think he's a big part of their future. And I think they're going to want to get him a lot of at bats this year, if possible. Absolutely. Right. Nick, who's your first guy up? Um, just preface it by saying that none of the three that I have picked are likely to be up this year, but I think that they're somewhat undervalued on prospect lists. And the first one, uh, Mike already mentioned, Nick Gonzalez. Um, after last year's draft, everybody was all Torkelson and Martin, and then what? And then what is Nick Gonzalez? I think this is a guy who has what you don't often see in prospects, which is he's got a really good batting eye. He's going to have a high on-base percentage, the kind of guy who could hit 300. And then if he can hit 20 home runs and 15 or 20 stolen bases to go with that. And if he moves to second base, as people expect, that's an all-star at second base. When you can hit over 300 in today's game, it's so hard to find guys who can do that. And so I'm really impressed with guys who from day one show they know how to differentiate a strike from a ball. And that's a hard lesson for some guys to learn. He's got that. So uh, I would put him up higher on, on your list. Well, very well. So I have the um, I have the one two in in a first year player draft. Should I take him over Austin Martin or no good? You know, I was just hearing some guys talk on another thing about how Martin might ultimately lose shortstop to Groshans. Mm, yes, and so. Yeah, that would be daring, but I don't think you're going to go wrong with Gonzalez. Right. Uh, I like Martin a lot, so it's hard for me to say, yeah, do it over Martin, but um, I think Gonzalez is the real deal. Awesome. Good to know. Mike, who do you have for your second guy up? Okay, my second guy up, sticking with uh, bat first infielders capable of playing second base. Uh, another guy I like is Michael Bush from the Dodgers. Um, I didn't know a lot about him until I started digging into second base a while back, but he just stood out to me as one of those players I like to have on my team. Uh, looking at some other lists, and I didn't quite understand why I've seen him rank so low. And, and just for the record, I you know I try not to read too many other lists that are out there until I come to my own conclusions first. You know, once I get a feeling on a player, you know, discover them naturally, I guess, like we talked about, then I'll start incorporating the thoughts of like well-respected fantasy minds that have a track record of helping me. Um, but anyway, uh, Michael Bush is being developed in the Dodgers system, which I'm very fond of. Uh, I, you know, side note, I absolutely love the possibility of what players like Luis Gonzalez and Wilman Diaz can become in, after a couple of years in that system. Um, uh, as for Bush, he's capable of playing second base, first base, and outfield, and I'm intrigued by him as most as a second baseman, obviously, but I think the bat plays regardless. And the Dodgers have taken someone like Max Muncy, who was a bat first guy who didn't necessarily seem like a second baseman and made it work. Um, Bush has a beautiful left-hand swing, makes hard contact, doesn't strike out a lot, takes walks, just another all-around good hitter. 
Um, and considering the Dodgers have developed lesser talented players into big time players, I'm intrigued by Bush, especially while his price remains low. And he's a top 50 prospect in OBP leagues, in my opinion. Nice. I like that. I just wrote him down. I'm going to be digging into him tonight. I second that. I also think very highly of Michael Bush. All right. I think I'm going to be making some trade inquiries tonight, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, Nick, who do you have for your second guy? Oh. Uh, my, my next two um, are guys where you're going to say, really? But the first one is because it's a pitching prospect. And some guys will say, nah, I'm not doing pitching prospects. But I'm telling you, George Kirby of Seattle is the kind of pitching prospect you should invest in. I'll tell you why. This is a guy who already has two plus pitches and a third average pitch, which tells you right off the bat, he's ready to not only be a starter, but he could be a mid rotation guy. Secondly, he has plus plus control. He's known for that. So he's got the three pitches and plus control and then at the alternate side, he got up to 99 miles an hour, averaging wow. 96. So his velocity has increased, and yet it, he still had his control. Um, we got to see if that stays over the course of a full season, but it sort of doesn't matter even if it doesn't because he's got that pitch selection and uh, he's got the great control. He doesn't have to have a lot of development time. So while I wouldn't expect him this year, I think he's not long in the minor leagues. I think he'll be ready. I think he'll be with Seattle. I think he'll be a good one when he comes up. Nice. I like that. George Kirby is one of my favorite pitching prospects. I actually like him more than Emerson Hancock and Logan Gilbert. That's high praise. Yeah, that's some that's some class they have there, pitchers, right? It's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Good hope for the future for the Mariners. There you go. You'll have something to root for soon, Mike. <laughs> You'll have something to root for soon. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Um, all right. Um, Mike, your last up guy. Okay. Uh, for the last up guy, I had to throw in one super young guy. Uh, you know, there are plenty of intriguing options out there, but I'm going to stick with someone that has been growing on me more and more as the weeks and months go by. I'm not sure if he's ranked inside the top 200 anywhere that I've seen. Um, I'm sure there are others out there that like him as much, but maybe they're big Seattle Mariner fans. Um, I'm not sure how to say his last name necessarily, but the guy I'm talking about is Jonathan Kloss. Um, he's a speedy 18-year-old outfielder. Uh, he's one of the international prospects from 2018 that went under the radar uh, at the time. First and foremost, he was listed at 5'8", 150 pounds. And wow. that kept a lot of organizations from aggressively pursuing him. Um, the other reason is that the 2018 international class is loaded with high-end talent that took a lot of the shine away. Um, the depth in that class is particularly amazing for a J2 class. Um, I've seen a lot of videos of Kloss, and he just looks a lot different than the player he was back then. He's had a ton of lean muscle, and he's added... Uh, I mean, all the videos I'm seeing and 
reports I'm watching suggest he hasn't sacrificed any of his speed for any of this. He's grown taller. Um, I mean, maybe I should have started with this, but he is one of the fastest human beings in the world of baseball. Routinely clocks times from home to first 3.8 to 3.9 seconds. Wow. There was only one player in major leagues that was under four seconds last season. That was Roman Quinn. Um, basically, this this kid is fast, athletic. He had a 434 on base percentage in his first taste of rookie ball. And he's being developed by the same people who helped Julio Rodriguez and Noelve Marte emerge into elite talents. Um, high OEP and high stolen base guys with power upside are probably like my favorite type of prospects to go after. Um, they're a lot less common than traditional sluggers. Um, and I've often found players like this to be uh, essential in my success in Roto League. So even if the power never becomes anything significant, you're looking at a guy with on-base skills that can lead the league in steals. And I'm buying everywhere in Dynasty. Nice. Love it. Get on base and fast. Take that combo. Yep. Nick, who do you got for your last up? Um, someone similar to that actually gets on base and fast. Um, Xavier Edwards of Tampa. And I know mm -hmm. we like to laugh at the guy because of uh, Mr. Snell's comments about him. But when you have that much speed, but you also have contact skills and you get on base, that's the kind of thing that can win leagues for you because we don't have a lot of speed in the game, but stolen base is still a, a category. So if you get someone like him to come up and he doesn't just become like a utility guy, and I realize with the Rays, that's pretty much all they are, utility guys. They do float all over the place. But if he can get some playing time, he can get on base and use that speed, um, I know he has no power. He's not going to have power. His, his exit velocity is awful. I get that. But it, it may not last more than a few years, but in those few years, he's going to win some leagues for people. Yeah, I mean, his average is consistently over 300. And I see the on-base at 395 in, the, in um, 2019 in Fort Wayne. It's just – that's um, really Hamilton, basically, right? Yeah, that's, that's – He's not the guy you can't get on base. To use right. That. He gets right. on base, and he's got the speed. Right. I was going to compare him to D. Gordon with yeah. the ability to take a walk. Yeah, another second baseman who can – can make a difference in uh, that category just by himself. Right. Absolutely. I like that. I like that pick. Okay. So now we're going to talk about some guys that we are a little down on and um, we'll keep it the same order. Mike, you'll lead off. Give me your first guy. Okay. Uh, I'm probably not going to go quite as deep on these players. I'm down on because I don't like being overly critical of players. You know, I understand these are real people and, you know, everything needs to be taken in context. But uh, first player I'm going to mention is Christian Pache for the Braves. Um, you know, I still like him better than 98% of minor leaguers out there. But from a fantasy perspective, I'm not buying him as a top 50 prospect. Uh, you know, he's an amazing defender. And I do think there's some untapped upside in his bat. But I don't see him being a huge power threat, a huge speed threat, or having a high OBP. You know, he might end up hitting near the bottom of the lineup the majority of his career, at least on a team that's trying to compete. Um, 
I mean, if he was way off the radar or had been dismissed by a lot of people, I could see the appeal as a deep sleeper because of the volume of at-bats he should get while they're trying to keep his glove in the lineup. Um, overall, at a position like outfield where I need some big-time production in fantasy, Pache just seems to come up short as far as top prospects are concerned. He's the type of player I would look to uh, trade away to a manager in your league that you know really likes him because they are out there. Or maybe you know a Braves fan who's excited about his brief debut last year. You know, I'm higher on him in leagues that he's batting average, but he's still not the guy I'm counting on to turn around the franchise. I like it. Very nice. I think that was a nice, clear, concise um, breakdown of Pache. I pretty much feel the same way. Nick, who do you have for your first guy that you are a little down on right now? Yeah, and all three of my guys, I'm not so much not liking the guys as I'm down on them compared to where I think they're being ranked. Right. And the first one is Randy Rosarina for the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's it's hard to say that because we all saw the off the uh, the postseason that he had. It was just otherworldly. But what he did last year was he sold out for power. Granted, it worked. <laughs> And he had all the success in the world, but the strikeout rate just soared. And his power, as great as it was, his expected power was about half. It just isn't sustainable what he did. And of course, why would anyone expect that? So all I'm saying with him is be cautious. Don't expect to get the next Mike Trout just because he played like it in the postseason just realize that he's a talented batter who the pitchers have had all winter to try to break down and think, hey, what's his weakness? And it wouldn't surprise me if he turns out to be a streaky kind of player. He'll have a couple of weeks where he'll look like he did in the postseason, and then a couple of weeks where he just won't be able to grab a hit anywhere. So he's, he's still young. This is, to me, a classic example of a sophomore slump situation coming up. Everyone is going to expect the world of him from day one, and if he gets off to a slow start, it might weigh on him. Right, or get platooned by the ways who love to do those types of things. Yeah. Right, right, very good point, very good point. Mike, who is your second guy that you are down on? Okay, uh, second guy I'm down on, you know, there are probably a couple people in Chicago that are going to want to fight me after I say this, but uh, <laughs> I'm kind of out on Nick Madrigal as a top level prospect, um, you know, there are tools there that I like, but, you know, from a fantasy perspective, I see him coming up short. Uh, you know, I'm concerned the real world power is never going to materialize and it just gives me the sense of an old school type player that has some real life value to the team, but isn't going to stand out offensively, even at a relatively weak position. Uh, he does have good contact skills and a little bit of speed and theoretically could be playing a lot for the White Sox. So, um, similar to Pache, I see the real world value being different than his fantasy value, you know. Um, that said, he is another player I would, wouldn't be as hard on in batting average leagues because he should be better there. Um, again, this is nothing personal against Magical. I just think there's a lot of people who see him as a, one of the very best prospects at second base. And I think the best part about him is his proximity to the majors. And he's another player I will be trading this offseason if I can find someone who still believes in him. 
Nice. Great breakdown. Nick, who do you have for your second guy that you are down on? Um, Louis Patino of the Rays. Um, oh, man. I love him. I think he's a great prospect. But for 2021, be careful. He came up last year. He didn't be what started one game. Um, he's out of the pen. Put up a terrible ERA, terrible whip, because his control was awful. He walked everybody. And so with young pitchers who have control problems, it takes them a while sometimes to get it all figured out. So he has all the talent in the world, but until he can put it where he needs to put it, he's going to have these ups and downs and he's going to hurt your whip. So in a dynasty league, I, I want him. In a redraft league, I want someone else to have him this year. Nice. Very interesting. I am, I am intrigued, but I am also scared just exactly by what you said, the walk rate. Pretty scary. All right, Mike, give me your last guy that you are a little down on this year. Okay. Last guy uh, I'm selling in Dynasty is Joey Bart. Mm -hmm. Um I think it's fair to say that most people are seeing Adley Rushman as the top catching prospect and for good reason. But uh, yep. I also think it's fair to say that a lot of people see Joey Bart as the next best option. And the first thing you should know about me is, you know, I'm not a big believer in catching prospects. You know, I tend to rank them all conservatively besides the ones that I think can really stand out, which are rare. So this isn't even necessarily a knock on Joey Bart. It's, it's more of a knock on the entire position. Um, sure, there will always be a stud catcher in the league at any given time. You know, you can look back at guys like Joe Maurer, Victor Martinez, Pudge Rodriguez, and now we have JT Real Muto. Uh, most years, some guy has a big season, like Gary Sanchez did a couple years ago, Mitch Garver, you know, and then they're overdrafted and become relatively mediocre picks and keepers. Um, so Joey Bart, you know, I love his power for catcher, but I think and I do think he can hit some home runs and knock in some runs and probably even have a big season or two. Um, is it possible I'm underestimating his ability to get on base at a high clip or maybe play first base down the line? That's possible. You know, the Giants did draft uh, Patrick Bailey as a catcher in the first round recently, so maybe they do see Bart going to first base down the line. But uh, the bottom line for me is, you know, I don't like catching prospects in general. I think there are better ways to use your minor league slots in, in most cases. You know, it's it's the hit tool that gives me the biggest pause with Bart, you know, especially as a top 50 prospect. You know, if Adley Rushman's the real Muto of prospects, then Joey Bart is one of the other random guys behind him. He's not locked in as a tier above the rest. You know, I actually prefer Mets catcher Francisco Alvarez long-term, you know, if I'm going with anyone else. Oh, great point. And yeah, I think you nailed it with the catchers too. I always feel the same way. Like they're, they they have to handle staff, you know, they have to get all that. And I think there's a lot of data too that shows the history of catchers um, prospering offensively, like after age 29, 30, it's like kind of when they hit their offensive peak. So yeah, that's a great, um, I'm kind of confused about Bart as well. I don't, I'm not thrilled at what I see, but um 
Yeah, I think you're right when you said the whole, well, Muto, if he's not in that territory, then anything below, you know, can, you know, be, you could just skip, skip that asset. Interesting. Yep. I like it. And um, Nick, I believe you have a catcher as well as your last guy. I do. I, I, I feel the same way as you two. I also am down on catcher prospects um, for the reasons Mike mentioned. My guy is uh, Luis Camposano of the Padres. And I'll point out that I own him in that dynasty league and I expect him to become my catcher of the future. But in 2021, as good as I think he is, and we all got excited because, wow, he got a September call up and got hurt. But wow, he's almost here, right? Yeah, he's not going to play. He'll, he'll play this year, but so is Nola and Castro and now they got Caratini. Where is he going to get the playing time? So if you have a dynasty league, yeah, be all over this guy. He's one of the best catcher prospects, but just be realistic about catcher prospects. And in redraft, nah, he's just not going to play enough to make it worth your while. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Wow. So you guys made it. You guys made it. Well, actually, not the full length of the episode. We have some listener questions on Twitter. <laughs> So, but you guys made it through our meat of the episode. Um, and now we're going to get into some questions here that we have some from, um, let's go. First one, Mr. Lucas J. Beery at Beery Plox, 33, big friend of the podcast. He wants to know top five rookie eligible arms for 2021. Yeah, I already mentioned the names based on that question. Right. Uh, so, you know, Ian Anderson and Sixto Sanchez and the three Detroit arms. I mean, right. th those guys are going to play. You're going to get something from those arms. Right. Good list right there. That should, it sounds like the title of a song. <laughs> and the three Detroit arms. <laughs> the three Detroit arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike, who do you see? Do you have any um, type of arms besides that that can uh, pop, pop out for 2021? Uh, for 2021, I'm trying to pull up a list here. Um, I do like those guys, the Detroit arms, Casey Mize. Uh, Nate Pearson for the Blue yeah. Jays. Guy. That's, that's a good possibility too. Right. Um, What's your thoughts on Spencer Howard? I like, I like him. I mean, I, I'm skeptical a little bit of Billy's pitching prospects. Seems kind of like a hitter's park overall. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, I'd, I'd yeah. let's say Pearson's a nine, Howard's a seven. He's like a poor man's version, I guess. Mm -hmm. He should get playing time. So, right. yeah, and Howard's, Howard's definitely a good choice yeah. for what we're talking about. And maybe Forrest Whitley, if he's ever healthy. Wow, yeah. Forrest Whitley, where have you gone? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Michael, he, he has got the skills. It's just a matter of putting it together and staying healthy. One of these days, he, he will it all come together and suddenly he will explode on the scene and people are going to think, wow, where'd that come from? Well, it's already always been there. Just it's never been able to be shown. Right. Absolutely. Uh, question question number two from uh, Tuba Man, another friend of the podcast, that guy, Ride22. Um, he wants to know, instead of trying to guess on specific player arrival times, are there certain organizations that you believe to be more aggressive in general and therefore more likely to promote early or even have prospects on opening day rosters? 
Yeah, there are some. The general answer is um, teams that are not expected to be that competitive. They know they're not going to be, and they're not even on the cusp of it, like a year later where they want to play um, games with the, the contract time. And, but that's really where you want to find is um, a team uh, expected to be toward the bottom of the standings. They don't have um, veterans ahead of them that are that good compared to the prospects that are coming up. So if you look at um, you know, the Oreos, the Pirates, and um, the Giants, I can see the Rangers calling guys up, um, you know, the Tigers with their arms. You're not going to find it with the, the, the big teams, the Yankees and the Dodgers. I mean, how are you? They're, they're trying to win now. They've got expensive guys in the lineup. Um, unless they all get hurt, how are you going to get a rookie in there? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll echo some of that stuff. You know, it's basically the teams that want to play their prospects. The other teams that are in contention can't, you know, Orioles come to mind, the Red Sox. Uh, seems like the Cubs are doing a little rebuild. So they might yeah. start going longer. Yeah, it's good. Uh, who else do we got here? Um, yeah, those are the main ones that come to mind right off my, off my head here. All right. Next, uh, next question, another friend of the pod, Mike Carter at MDRC05080 wants to know if there's a prospect outside of the top 20 that you think could make an impact this year. Yeah, I mean, some of the names that we've already mentioned. Right. Uh, yeah, I think we pretty much covered some yeah. possible guys for that. I think but, Peter Downs that you mentioned, Mike, I think that's an excellent name for that question. Right. I think so too. Absolutely. Like, like you said, he's around that 20, 25 to 30 area. So yeah, it's yep. a perfect, perfect guy for that one. Um, next question from John Hawk at John Hawk 12. How do fantasy owners approach the missed year in 2020 for players that didn't get to work at the alternate side? I think it's a great question right here. What do you guys do? Um, how are you going to handle the fact that, you know, these many guys didn't play last year? We just put together the baseball HQ top 100 this mm -hmm. week. Um, you know, eight of us contributed and we pretty much all agreed that um, you basically don't change your view of a guy if he doesn't play he's still the same person. He's just, he needs some reps. He needs to get out there and we see, but until we see that something has changed, we assume he's the same person. So if you liked him before, assume you'll like him now. The only concern would be some of the older prospects who had a lost year that really has hurt them. But you know, an 18 or 19 year old, nah, they're the same guy. Yeah, I think there's gonna be some mixed results here. I, I think one thing that I need to mention is just because these players didn't play last year, they've still aged. Yeah. They've still gotten stronger. They're still working out on the side. There's going to be some players that appear kind of out of thin air that we, we just didn't know that they had gotten so good. And, and we're going to see some of that stuff. And then there's probably some players who are, 
who are a little bit behind now. So like I agree with what Nick said, you know, it's the younger players, it's not going to affect as much. Some of the guys who were like 23, 24 and started, everything started going crazy, uh, you know, they might kind of get moved out of the way. Got it. Yeah, totally makes sense. It'd be interesting to see what happens this year, especially like with the even the major league guys, like guys like David Price. Um, be interested yeah. to see how these guys handle not playing for a year and coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a question here. It's more like a general. Um, Tim Tim Raider at TJCO one zero zero six. He wanted to know some stuff about some J two signings. Um, maybe it's not really a general question but maybe you guys have any um advice on maybe how to handle uh j2 guys and you know i guess what what to look for when you're scouting those guys uh, sure um, yeah, go, ahead, Mike. go ahead j2 players are one of my not so hidden secrets i guess for dynasty leagues uh people just there's just certain people out there that aren't willing to wait they're not willing, they don't know enough about them. They're not taking a 16-year-old. And for the last five years, no matter what league I play, these guys keep following to me. They just, you know, like last year, I, before all the shutdown and everything, I drafted Hedbert Perez, Luis Rodriguez, Maximo Costa, like Robert Poisson, like all in the same draft in a good league, you know? Wow. And I do that, I've been doing that for about four or five years, just trying to stockpile first-year player draft picks and see what happens and then you know pretty much regularly a year later i just have a bunch of guys that everyone wants <laughs> right no that's a that's a good point and um i noticed you said stockpile first year player draft picks and i guess too like don't be afraid to maybe gobble up some later round ones right is that what you're saying like yeah, don't absolutely. yeah yeah that makes sense you know it could be the fourth round pick 70th overall and you grab some guy who turns into a top prospect Right. Love it. That's awesome. Writing that down too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, do you have anything to chime in with the J2 guys? Just be in dynasty. If you're going to do that, like, right. You know, don't bother in a, in a redraft league or even a keeper league where you're going to, you know, turn them over in two or three years because it does take time. But if you have the patience, yeah, Mike's right. Those are the guys that two or three years from now, everybody's going to want but you've already got them mike do you do you do you find anything like in relation to how much a guy signed for did that have like any correlation maybe to like how you feel about a guy or how maybe people should look at a player i think it's a factor you need to look in i mean these organizations are doing a lot of research before they give them money but it's not a it's not a guaranteed thing there are a lot of prospects who up up that had $150,000 signing bonuses and the guy who got 4 million never emerges. Right. I'm definitely looking more at tools and stuff, but um, it's something to consider for sure. Right. Absolutely. All right. We're done. You guys are done off the clock with the listener questions. Um, Guys is awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming out. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out. No, everyone, you know, I value my time. So I know you guys value your time too. So I much appreciate you taking the time out to come talk to me and teach me some prospect stuff. Well, I considered it an honor and it was a pleasure. Thank you, you Nick. You got tag team by the Richards. I got, t- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that might have to be the name of the podcast.
Tag team by the Richards. <laughs> awesome. Mike, how do you um how do you feel? You feel a little better now that it's done? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I do. I, I'm going to have to listen back to it, but I, I like this. I actually like this more than writing. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. M- much easier on my hands. Um, you know, sometimes just it's really good to get stuff out and project the voice and um, hear stuff back yep. from everybody. So, yeah, once again, um, I really appreciate you guys coming out. And um, if you want to have the opportunity again to just plug your work and where everyone can find you on Twitter or wherever you guys want people to find you at go ahead yeah i'm uh nick richards hq on twitter and my website is milbanalysis.com and of course i do work with baseballhq.com yeah i mean you can find articles and rankings and stuff at uh, prospectsworldwide.com and rotofanatic.com and my twitter handle is at mprichards1981 and i do a lot of daily interaction with people so feel free to reach out if you want to talk about prospects awesome all righty guys thank you so much again and um talk to you guys soon all right thanks all righty folks thank you for tuning in to another episode of the pull hitter podcast hope you enjoying it and hope you enjoyed this episode you could always hit me up on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter. You could find the podcast at Pull Hitter Pod on Twitter. PullHitter.com if you want to check out the website. If you haven't heard it earlier in the episode, if you would like to leave a rating and review, you can take a snapshot, show it to me on DM, and I'll send you some Pull Hitter swag. That's something that you're into. With that, don't be a bag of shit.